I need people to start cool shit so that I can feel alive. I think the most exciting thing is that we won't even know how far you go and how much you've achieved until you look back and you go, holy fuck. So the impact we can have culturally and the access we can have and the power that we can have. Hello, friends, and welcome back to a special episode of Weed Buzz Radio. As many of you know, there's so many characters, innovators, and personalities in the cannabis industry that inspire me all of the time. And I'm honored because our next guest is one of the first individuals that not just inspired me to create a cannabis industry podcast, but a lot of my inspiration and motivation came from this individual and his partner creating a beautiful show to help normalize cannabis and a show that I think many of you are familiar with, Weed and Grub. And so I am honored to introduce Mike Glazer. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. It's so rad to be here. It's my pleasure. And shout out to uh, Mary Jane Gibson, my co-host. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I am honored that you're here. And I just got to say, I uh, I saw a commercial that you did uh, a while back and uh, you have so many layers uh, to yourself. And I would love to learn more about your creative journey and what's just kind of brought us here today. Sure. Um... I'm a comedian, first and foremost. That's kind of how I self-identify. And that has given me the opportunity to be a part of some incredible productions with, you know, people I've admired my whole life. And uh, I seek validation through getting laughs from other people. And it just so happens that cannabis has been a huge part of that journey since I was about 14 years old. Was it something that helped you with your creativity? Was it so, cause I know for me, it's reduced a lot of anxiety. Uh, mm-hmm. I never would have been able to get in front of a mic. So how did you know that there was a place for it in your life? Because I felt cool when I was high and that stigma that people say was around it for me. I've just never been, uh, I've, I've, I've always tried to, you know, and you're a scientist, you know, like if I just told you that the sky is blue, you would want to test that out for yourself to make sure that you knew the sky was blue. So when I heard the, uh, dangers of weed and saw a frying pan with an egg in it, and that was supposed to be my brain, I was kind of like, I don't know if that's my brain. Let's see Let's see what this frying pe- this fried egg experiment really is about. And then I tried weed and it just made me feel like a better me. It made my anxiety, you know, much, much less. I was no longer swimming with my shirt on because I was stoned and I could just like enjoy my skin that I'm in. And creatively, it took me outside of my own ego in a way that let more imagination flow through me. And I will always be thankful for that because that's what I live for is to make things. That's amazing. And for me, I, I considered myself a creative before I found cannabis and I realized it just added so many layers and dimensions to to the things that I do create. So I absolutely can appreciate that. And I'm interested, you know, 
you were you said 14 when you, you know, became a comedian obviously it's a it's a journey you know, were you always the funny guy growing up were you the funny guy in your family sure yeah absolutely i it's how i relate to hu human beings is to either listen and make a joke if i can make them laugh or protect myself from my own insecurities by being the butt of my own joke you know it's a very powerful, thick shield that I built from a very early age. But I'm also really proud of the shield I've built because it's, you know, it's a career now. And so I've always been the funny kid, also the very introverted kid, which which weed helped me with as well. It, it helped me um, talk out loud and be okay with that. So, you know, I say 14 as when I first started, like, consuming, but... I certainly was funny before that. It's not like I got high and all of a sudden like the matrix set in and I became the Neo of jokes. That would be insane. But the, uh, the idea of like from 14 on when I really started to build my own identity and figure out who I was, cannabis has always played a part of that. That's amazing. And did you grow up in on or on the West coast or did you move, locate out there? Oh man, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri okay. and grew and then, you know, the the short answer is St. Louis to Chicago, Chicago to Los Angeles. Um the long answer is all, all the way through college I lived in St. Louis playing roller hockey and reaching some pretty high levels there. Um surprisingly enough because people don't know that you can train at the Olympic Training Center as a roller hockey goalie, but you can. And uh you know, I I worked at a local pizza shop all through uh high school selling weed out the back door because you know if i'm gonna make an hourly wage and get free pizza i may as well make some fucking money on the side and sling some nugs out the back why wouldn't you uh you know things like that a very midwestern for me like a midwest suburban upbringing that's a bit and very entrepreneurial clearly Always, 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 always beating to my own drum, trying to do things my way. I've just never had trust in society, if I'm going to be honest. I don't see it as wanting to take care of you as much as wanting to trap you into a, into an idea that gives you security. And that never felt secure to me. So I knew that I had to rely on myself to make things. And hopefully those things that I make will carry me to a, a, a life that is you know the one i want that is so powerful and uh, a dear friend of mine jesse littleton who i i hope to introduce you to soon um it's just he inspired so much love in in my journey kind of throughout cannabis and we, we share a lot of mantras that are very similar to that of just at the end of the day, here we are. And, you know, it took us a while to kind of get there, to be that point of, I'm me, and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that to a point, but I think there's always an aspiration there of, mm -hmm. uh, of comfort. And so it's always fascinating to me to hear how individuals not not overcome but but thrive and so i just really appreciate you sharing uh that part of of your journey with me today so how did you get over your fear to start something like this what was it for you that um got to the point of inevitability <laughs> so i 
touched on it in a not so deep way um, earlier today, but I, I would love to share it. I was kind of forced into it when I left university and took over the drive-in. You know, it became a, a community endeavor and one that I did not adopt or embrace. I was still the shy, nervous, everybody's judging me individual. And it did not matter, you know, really what happened. I just, I, I would go home and, and cry, you know, even if we had a, a big day. And I just, I always felt like I was letting somebody down. Mm. And then you kind of fast forward and you get the scrutiny and you kind of weed through it of like, what I realized is that, you know, some of the scrutiny that I was getting or, or public criticism, maybe there's some truth to it that, that I didn't want to look at or reflect on. Um, or maybe there was some truth that I could extract from it. But what really made me realize that it had to change uh, was about uh, just over about a year and a half ago when I'm in a, in a small town and as I kind of shared with you, you know, working on sustainability and, and not plastic, and that's kind of my way to share love with the world. I was in a, a boardroom of sorts with a bunch of individuals that all had a lot of say on whether or not this project would move on. And it, at the same time, my grandfather was starting his journey into the end of life, you know, end of this existence. Sure. And cannabis was, was playing a role, not just for him, but for my grandmother, which allowed for some conversations with my, with my dad. You know, my pops was definitely not, you know, the first you know, advocate or supporter until sometimes it hits home. And... I was sitting you know, with my grandfather and he was having a hard time speaking, but we could talk. And you know, I told him, I said, I was in this setting the other day that I was very uncomfortable being in. And they were so wrong, like so flawedly wrong that I just, I told him, and I, I stood up and I explained to them, like, this is not just our community. This is our world. And this is our legacy. Like, we've got to be better. And I'm going at it. And after somebody grabbed me to the side and said, you know, about 30 years ago, I recall being a little bit younger version of myself. And your grandfather built the Episcopal Church in this town. And the way that I heard you speak tonight, I could definitely understand that you and your grandfather have a very different sermon, but you're both preachers. <laughs> it was just, that was when it hit me. I don't have a choice. You know, like if I, if I have the grit, you know, then I need to be able to advocate for what I believe in. And two days before he passed, I shared that story with him. And it was just, a, it was a beautiful moment. Uh, but that's when I knew that it was going to take practice 
but I had to get over it. I had to be here to have moments like this with you to hopefully inspire, you know, somebody else, you know, like you inspired me. Hopefully we can inspire somebody else to just share more love with the world. That's beautiful. I, I love that you bring up legacy when you talk about that too. Um, because like hearing you describe the, um, I don't, I don't know about your back being against a wall, like you had no choice, but in a way you had no choice, but to like, like your heart grew too big and you had nowhere else to put it. And that is so incredible because um, like, because the legacy that you are creating for yourself right now, we, I think the most exciting thing is that we won't even know how far you go and how much you've achieved until you look back and you go, holy fuck, like how did we get here? But to get there, you gotta fucking start and just get better at something. And I feel like the older you get, the easier it is to forget that you're not gonna be great at something right away or that you're allowed to, do, to start something new and just make a new hobby. It's nobody cares, nobody's looking to you for perfection. Um, it's exciting. And, and just the idea of starting is, is like so beautiful and so powerful, but it's so hard to do. It is really hard to do, especially when you feel like an outsider already. So yeah. if you're already kind of struggling with self-identity, looking at the cannabis industry was very overwhelming from the outside because it felt like everybody has their relationships they have their friends they've gone through battles together who am i and what i found by being you know a voice right i had no in, no intentions i spent you know two years exploring the industry and my mm. only ask is can we have a half hour together and people would always be like okay but what are you going to sell me later i, I don't know you know, I may something someday, but I don't know today. And, you know, after after almost two years, it's like, well, I, I think I do know, you know, I think, but it's more of a, how can I contribute? Well, some of the things that I'm working on in my day job over here also happened to be struggle points for the cannabis industry. So it was like more of like not plastic fitting into this was more of a, ah, this is what I could do to give back. You know, like I've been doing the podcast, but I never knew how I could participate or how I could contribute. But what I really want to say to that is from day one, I never felt like an outsider. I was hugged on the first day of podcasting, you know, by a, by a dispensary owner, and then day two by a cultivator. I had worked jobs for years you don't hug each other you, you know right. maybe you 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 handshake but like you don't touch like you're not you know there's these bubbles and i remember like the first time i was very uncomfortable i was caught off guard i was like i don't i don't you know can we do that like are you gonna sue me like i don't know like how this goes and the second time like i just felt like almost like oh i i i have a home in this community that's beautiful especially because we're at a pretty critical point in the industry right now, where that kind of love, that kind of everyone is welcome mantra that has carried a legacy market through 
terrible propaganda, just like bullshit on bullshit, the kind of stuff that um, a lot of people tout and I don't need to get into because I'll, I don't want to create static where people just tune out and they're like, we've heard this before. But what I will say is the friction between corporate cannabis coming in without knowing anything about cannabis and seeing a fuck ton of money being available inside it and the growers and cultivators, the people on the legacy market who have fucking held all of it together to get to this point. And the friction that we're seeing between the two is, is, is to me incredibly dangerous because um, at the end of the day, the corporate cannabis is going to win because the government is going to make it federally legal. Walgreens is going to decimate the mom and pop stores while scooping up other ones because their branding, their fan base, their profit margin are all on point and they're just going to get absorbed. And and so I don't know the right answer except to keep doing things like you and I are doing where we're trying to reach a lot of people with a lot of information in an entertaining way to get people inspired to come together and create something and create a machine that works for everyone. And that's aspirational, but I do think it's possible. And and we're like in that moment right now. And it's really, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Is it overwhelming at all? Because like is, while man. you're doing it, it just, it's gonna be a little bit. It is because I think that, I think the industry is incredibly fractured right now because everybody has the right intentions, but everybody's um, focus is a scattershot of what's most important to them. So you have cultivators who like the genetics and the fact that sativa isn't real and it's all about terps and we need to quit talking about THC percentages. And like, that's the most important thing to them. But if I go to my grandma and start talking about that, she's gonna be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just wanna get high, my eyes hurt. And so you've got to find like what we're, what I'm hoping happens is that we get leaders within each area of the industry who we can get like, let's say there's like a bunch of cultivators who were just like, ooh, these are our leaders. These are the people who are speaking for us with Congress and everything important to cultivators can go to them and then they can fight for the most important things that will build a foundation for this industry for cultivation. And then you move over to branding, market, like, you know, all of the divisions that make up any, any industry. Um, but what we're seeing right now is a lot of people fighting to be those voices. And that creates an inability to have any voice at all. And as federal legalization charges in one way or another, if we're so fractured and scattered because everybody wants to be the leader, then there are going to be no leaders. And we're going to look back on this time and be like, oh, fuck, things worked out the way they worked out. And we didn't have our ducks in a row to become a part of the solution as a whole. And I'm really concerned about that. So I'm trying to either be aligned with people I believe in so that I can amplify their voice because I don't, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a cultivator. I don't know anything about it, but I know that there's people out there that I should trust and believe in and amplify so that they get the most respect and the most leadership that they can. But I also think people like you and I, we are in the media and entertainment side. So the impact we can have culturally and the access we can have 
and the power that we can have to help shape the space is um, is not something that is overlooked by myself and I'm keenly aware of. I really appreciate you saying that because I th there's a lot of content creators around and I have the honor and privilege of working and co-hosting besides some amazing individuals on, on a number of different programs. And sometimes there is an odds or a difference of opinion on maybe like what stories we're going to share and what kind of vetting are we going to do of the information that we receive in order to share and clearly articulate a fact-based story. And so often, you know, you see these things that are like they're beautiful stories and maybe an organization shows up last minute and it's like, do we, you know, do we go with this story, the, the headline that was fed to us in a press release or do we look at the story and do we evaluate, you know, maybe there's a few more things that we should look into before we just speak for the sake of speaking. And, you know, it's, it's been at odds. And I think, you know, most people know I kind of stick to my guns on some things. So, like, you know, if that if the program manager that owns the show wants to tell that story, it just needs to be somebody else's mouth that does it. Because I, I there's things that I see or I keep track of and take notes on that maybe we don't know about, you know, but the same type of thing, like with not plastic, I don't want to release something that 80 years from now is found in a documentary with not plastic right on it. it and it's like, you can never take that moment back. Even if there was some crazy circumstance, like I'm not alive to dissect that product, figure out what happened. Like we need to be preemptive and we need to make decisions today to avoid those things. And so I really appreciate you bringing up this point because I do think that in the media, we've got a real responsibility to look beyond the clubhouse and use some of the other tools that are available to us. And I've, I've told everybody that I've networked on the platform, I encourage everybody to vet me and I encourage you to vet everybody else uh, because I do believe we all want the, what's best. Um, and if we believe that, then, you know, our, hopefully our cards, you know, can be out there. There are so that's man, you're talking about integrity. Like that's the number one thing. And for me, integrity and justice are some of my like if, there, if I had a family crest, I think integrity and justice would be like two of the four words for the quadrants of it because they're the most important things to me. And there are some dumb liars out there who are talking louder than everybody else, which doesn't mean that they are anything more than loud. And so to hear the integrity that you put into, like how you represent yourself makes me think about how some of the most caring, lovely, honorable, who also demand respect in return people out there are also the ones who have been labeled in my life as drug dealers. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They care about their friends more than anything else. They take care and support their family. They sling shit on the streets for cash, but they also, but who gives a fuck? They have more integrity and honor than anybody else I know. And, and so it's, it's just inspiring to hear, I guess is really all I'm saying because 
Um, there's a lot of fuck faces out there who are, you know, taking <laughs> like fucking it up for the rest of us. I, and I appreciate your honesty uh, as well, Mike. Word. <laughs> I wish we could shake hands, dude. I know. Like, <laughs> it's, it's true. I just, I, I was on Clubhouse last night and I was talking to some amazing individuals. Like you were saying, tried and true stories. Their cards are on the table. If they've done it, it's posted. <laughs> and, you know, like, you, you kind of see who they are. And we were having a conversation specifically about, you know, what I was kind of sharing with you about, you know, one newsroom might think one thing, another press desk might think another, but, like, where's your responsibility to draw a line? And, you know, it, it can be hard. And, you know, some of us, you know, I just... It, you know, I'm blessed to be in a position where I can stand there and be like, if you make me say that, I, I walk. And, yeah. you know, but I also recognize that there may be some people in this space listening or, or a part of the media that may not feel like they have that ability. And I think more than anything, kind of what I want to, like you inspired me to take, just jump in do it get that first one and get the second like i'm hoping that i can inspire some people maybe already in this space that have a voice to maybe take that that inspiration the step further and kind of just stick up for like what they know you know is kind of tried and true and what are the stories that 80 years from now you want your grandkids being like hey my mom, my dad, my grandpa, my grandma, like they did this and it's there and it's documented. And I think that's special about what we get to do is we document the stories. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think really what you're making me think of too is that, um, you know, I want to play the game because it is a game and I like playing it and I want to get really good at playing the game because it's fun and I believe in it. And it's also in some ways easier than ever to be incredibly authentic and have that strike like an arrow straight through the heart because the way that we've been set up, I don't want to get into politics, but it is easier than ever to be so true to yourself and wildly authentic and come from a place of like deep passion, belief, knowledge, and entertainment. And, and we're craving that. And there's room for that. And it doesn't have to be podcasting about the things that you and I do. And I mean, it, it can be anything. It can just be like, I love to fucking draw trees. And if you're drawing trees from a place that you're just like pouring your happiness into it, like we are craving that as a society and culture right now. And for that kind of like, just start something, it's a very exciting time because I need people to start cool shit so that I can feel alive. You, the way that you said that, it's a hundred, because for, for me, right, I used to think in order to be an entrepreneur, I had to be mean. I had, like, not, not mean serious. You know, like, it's just, that's not funny. And so, like, but I also love comedy. You know, right. so it's like, you know, I would be the guy that's like, you know, in a boardroom, very stiff, whatever. But like when I'm at my desk, like I, you know, I would watch Impractical Jokers or you know something like that. It just laugh, yeah. right? And so it's it's been a hard balance. But then when I realized, and after developing some semblance of a corporate career, man, I'd rather be broke. 
Like, you know, I'd rather be broken, happy, and sharing love with my neighbor than the opposite and grouchy and alone and miserable. I agree. And for the people who can't, don't have that luxury, like you and I have, um, like, fought to have for ourselves, there's so many reasons you, so many people I know can't have that. Um, I, I haven't always had that. There were times when I was, ooh, you know, it, it just like, it would, uh, you know, a couple more nights sleeping in my bathtub and I wouldn't have gotten out of the hole. So, um, but I think that like the beauty of, of what I'm learning is the beauty of a hobby is that it can grow into something more than a hobby if you want it to. And it's weird because we're kind of raised in a society where you are supposed to be given permission for everything from going to the bathroom at school to getting good grades to, you know, it's all a permission validation based setup. And so the idea of like giving yourself permission to just do anything feels fucking crazy. It feels crazy. And it, if you can it, like, and breaking through that and learning how to cook because I love how to, I love cooking, and then that turning into Mary Jane and I developing recipes for cannabis companies, and that turning into us being like, I think we have a cookbook idea here. Let's see if we can do that. And like you know, that all just starts with a hobby that we gave ourselves permission to do because it's fun. Um, but it still feels crazy that you have to give yourself permission to learn how to cut an onion. It's true. I mean, you have to give yourself permission to do anything that you wouldn't just automatically do by existing. Yeah, exactly. I love how deep and stoned this talk is, by the way. Like, this I know. is my favorite kind of weed chat. Like, this is, this is like, I live for this shit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do as well. And it's funny because, you know, whether who knows what part people are tuned in or, or not tuned in or what part makes the final cut. Like it's, it's just about the fact that like we can all be together. And that's what I kind of enjoyed about the clubhouse app is like, we can all be a fly on the wall in anybody's conversation. Um, yeah. But I do think that we've got to be, you know, we've got to be careful about the authentic, you know, moments, you know, and I, try to tend to take a few minutes before recording and a few minutes after because I feel like you know we share so much of ourselves you know I, like you you know you you create so much that's public facing yeah. and you have your own programs and shows and sometimes it's kind of hard to just like turn it off and I you know speaking for me you know but like is is it ever hard to just turn it off and just be Mike um, no, because I'm at this point in my life where I'm trying to live incredibly true to myself and let that be what I'm showing on social media and being all the time because I spent so long, especially when I didn't know the type of comedian I was, my tools weren't sharp yet. I didn't have confidence on stage or creating a live experience or directing huge theater, like whatever, it, whatever the thing is that I'm proud of. Um, I still didn't know my own deal yet. I was just fucking faking it till I made it and like leaning on the same tools that I knew would work instead of growing new ones. So, but I feel like I'm at a point now where I'm pretty much always myself, but on Clubhouse specifically, 
I think I'm incredibly quiet and I don't really say much and sit in the cut a lot. And I think that's because I don't know any of these people and I don't know why they're there. And so I'm not about to start talking out of pocket, sharing opinions or knowledge, um, connecting people with other people because I don't know any of them. So I can't co-sign any of them except for folks like Capetta, you know, like I'll co there's, of course there's people, I don't want to say anyone co-sign anyone, but like, you know, we know each other now. I can see your eyes smiling as you talk and how much you love this. So I feel confident in co-signing you and seeing if we can help each other grow and blossom. But a place like Clubhouse, where it's faceless people interrupting each other to get their point across, I'm just not going to talk because I'll let you all put your cards on the table before I do. I could not agree more. And I'm pretty sure I cried on Clubhouse before anybody. And, oh, and really? I own it. <laughs> I tell everybody, like, you know, I, I am that sap. Like, you know, I the first night that I was on Clubhouse was a six and a half hour marathon. It was, I was moderating a room talking about clinical research trials with Christina D'Arcangelo. And it turned into this beautiful networking opportunity. And when I say beautiful, like, my friend Antonio Harvey, like he was in the room, introduced himself and he got out. And like an hour and a half later, a professional athlete from Australia was like sharing this story of like retirement's coming, transition's coming. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like I'm like, and I could hear it. Like the, I could hear it, Like, just like, as I'm describing it, my heart's starting to palpitate of like, when I knew it was time for me to leave the drive-in, but I also knew I was 24. I had no career outside of that. And that's what I knew. And mm -hmm. I was the driving guy. And as he's communicating, it's like, well, who am I to tell him that my story of being a driving owner in Maine is the equivalent of what he's going through a, you know, an icon of, of a league in his homeland, right? Like, who am I to say that? So I, I was thinking like, okay, who in my Rolodex could help provide some mentorship? I'm like, ah. Oh, wonder if Antonio's still awake. And I pinged him and he came out. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But like, Rye said, Rye pinged me back in here. We're learning the app. I figured there, it must be something. And I said to him, I said, Antonio, I said, I'd really like for you to meet this individual who's not, you know, just getting ready to kind of step maybe out of the public light and what does life look like? And they were able to have, you know, a five, 10 minute share as a room. And it was kind of special. And, you know, I just kind of encouraged, like, if you guys want to take, you know, the, you know, offline, please, you know, <laughs> exchange, you know, Instagram, whatever. But there was a lot of beautiful connections like that. And yeah. then, you know, some you know some of the OG crew that I think you and I would both know they show up right and a member of the community was lost at you know under forty you know any age is always too soon but a, a, an entrepreneur of our industry and we had a moment of silence and you know I'm I'm bawling everybody else is you know I think it was kind of a surreal community moment of like sixty seconds all on this app at this moment it was goosebumps. Yeah. And then it could never be replicated in nothing like it, you know, for any of us that had this tremendous moment, we've been kind of unable to, to find that. And so I, I, I'm with you. I'm hoping we can get that back. And I'm hoping 
that community aspect of like let's let's rise together comes back uh but i totally see you know where the opposites happened and uh not not to control the, the the convo but i want to share this with you and i want to share this with everybody because if we're in this situation we need to have we need to have the heart to call it out and this beautiful entrepreneur was telling a story about their phase and their journey and talking about the testing that they did and how they went about testing this product and just for the maniacal mad scientists out there you know what what she's doing and she's got all of this and she's in a room full of cannabis entrepreneurs and immediately she starts ta- sharing some of the obstacles she's having well there's some different individuals in that room they have all the answers I get it. I got the solution for you. Don't you worry. I got this. We're going to set you up here. Oh, what you really need is this, 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 and this. Don't, don't listen to him. I'll take care of you. So I pinged two of the, there's so many amazing female entrepreneurs, but I picked, you know, ping two that I thought would connect with this individual the best. And I pinged them into the room and I, I just, I muted everybody. And I said, Hey, I said, you know, name this individual. I said, I brought these two individuals here. I said, because they have abs- their business is nothing invested in anything you do so they have no invested interest in your business and i'm saying this in front of everybody and kind of turned it into a joke right like they have no interest in your business so what they can do is they can help vet everybody else in this room that could potentially help you overcome an obstacle you're having and that includes myself and because I wanted it to be clear that I do think I have something of value I can help her with. But in a room full of five, you know, CEO type individuals all yelling at this individual about what she and her business needs. I'm like, no, like, you know what she needs? She needs a couple of friends to listen to the challenges that knows some people that can say, no, no, no. Like, this is what you need solved, and this is how they're going to solve it. And don't tell them anything else. Like, I think that we need more entrepreneurs out there doing things like that, of just like, hey, here's a check and balance on myself and everybody on this room. Do your betting. So I just wanted to share that because the opposite of community is in there. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a very courageous story, The, the courage to make those choices on behalf of another individual, I think is, um, is, is truly something because you, you made the choice as somebody who is a born connector. It sounds like you were just born to connect people. Uh, you were born to help other people, which also fills yourself up, but the courage to stand up in front of everyone and slam your hand on the table and say, stop it. Here's what we're doing and taking control of that room is a very, uh, it can be very scary to do that, but it sounds like you didn't think twice about it. You just knew there was someone who needed help and that's what was the most important thing. I got to tell you, and that's, that's all my pops. Like, you know, if, if somebody says, you know, like growing up, he would always say to me, right? Like you can never start a fight. You can finish one. You never started, right? And you know, we we would joke that I'd walk around the playground, you know, looking for injustice. You know, it's like, oh, I see it, Dad. I'm gonna make them hit me first because he's picking on him. And it's like, as long as I could divert the attention onto me, then 
I could have some control over the outcome. And it's a really messed up way to think about it. But like, even in high school, I think I got into two fights and it was people picking on my roommate. Like it wasn't even me because I was the quiet kid. I didn't pick fights. Like I'm trying to avoid all attention. So it's just like, I happen to walk by and it's like, and I just like, I hear my dad, right? I, and I would always just, I almost ridiculed him sometimes growing up about how nice he was or how far he would go out on a limb for somebody else, right? Like, and I mean, times where I'd be like, dad, you know, you can't do that. Like, you know, that, that it's your job. So I don't want that job. If I have to do that to that person, I don't want that job. Well, that's money. Like that's your income. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. And that discipline in a, you know, he and my mom are just they're they're a perfect balance for each other and so of course she supported him in those decisions right but like to me it's never been an option to compromise on things like that because i witnessed somebody and it's not martyr it's just disciplined it's drawing that line in the sand and please don't violate my code because I'm a really nice guy until my code is violated. And so, you know, shout out. Love you, Dad. Well, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate everybody tuning in and joining my conversation today with Mike or, or our conversation with each other, rather. And so, of course, always head over to WeedBudsRadio.com. Check out those show notes. We'll have Mike's Instagram there as long as he's okay with it. And uh, you know. It. Awesome. So head over and, and connect with Mike and we'll see you in the next episode. Much love. Much love. That's a sign off. That's cool.